This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. I'm probably aware that some of you don't recognize me, and I'm okay with that. Um, uh, I'm Kevin. My family and I moved here to Lowell about a year and a half ago to come and to serve here at Mill City as an intern uh, for about a year. Um, And over the last summer, then we transitioned from here. You all sent us out from this place and and are now serving as campus ministers at MIT, uh, so down in the city. And so um, I'm grateful to be back. I'm glad that Chris invited me in, in his absence to come and to, to share from God's Word today. And, and I'm excited because today we're exploring a, a concept that I think is really central to what has sent us to MIT, to what we hope to see done on that campus, what I hope you hope to see done in your communities and in this city, and what we hope to see done around the world. And and so the central theme is we're going to be uh, unpacking it together today during our time is that the Word of God is not bound. The Word of God is not bound. It's going to go forth. It's going to accomplish all that God desires of it. People will be reconciled to God. Lives will be changed because of the truth of God's Word. And in the end, the nations of the world will praise God and bring Him glory. All right, I'm tempted to stop, but I'll, we'll unpack a little more. But... The Word of God is unbound. That's what I want us to take a look. And so as, as we're exploring this today, we're, we're going to look at four, um, four main ideas. And uh, I didn't make a sheet for you. You're going to have to go old school today and actually take notes on what comes to mind. So I hope you don't mind on that. But the four things we'll cover today are going to be the truth of the gospel, the power of the gospel, the need for the gospel, and to live remembering the gospel. The truth of the gospel, the power of the gospel, the need for the gospel, and live remembering the gospel. And we'll come back to each of those. Um, a little bit of context. So we're in 2 Timothy. So I, I, I recommend, I'd, I'd love for you to open a copy of the Bible and look at it as we keep referencing back. But a little bit of context to make sure we know where we are. This is Paul um, uh, writing to his disciple Timothy. Uh, he's writing during his imprisonment in Rome. Um, and it seems he is awaiting his death, realizing that, that the end of his journey is coming. Um, and so this is likely somewhere around A.D. 64, 65, somewhere in that range. Uh, the, the Roman emperor Nero is ruling and, and is heavily persecuting the church. And so Paul is writing to Timothy, encouraging him to stand firm in the faith and to complete the mission that God has called him to do. And so that's, that's kind of where we're, that's the setting that we're falling into today. And so let's open up, let's, let's read God's word, let's hear from the word of God today. So this is 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. It says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for we, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, he will reign, or we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the word from the Lord. So what I want us to start with, as I told you, let's talk, let's talk about the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. And so... Maybe thinking about a little bit of the meaning of the word, I, um, the, the original meaning is, is going to be a good message or good news. 
There's been some critical words spoken. It says maybe the word gospel has become like one of these buzzwords that we just like to attach to things so that we think it adds some extra meaning. Um, but instead of going from having a specific meaning, we've added it to everything. And so gospel is not really what it is. But from the, good, the good news is, is from the onset today, Paul is going to give us two, tea, uh, two key tent posts of what the gospel is. So this isn't all of the gospel, but he's going to give these two points. And he says without these, the, the tent, the whole meaning is going to fall. And so he first begins with the work of Jesus. The work of Jesus. Look again here at the beginning of verse 8. He says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. All right. The name Jesus, if we're going back and look at the root, is, um, the name given to him, is, it means deliverer. Jesus is, is deliverer. And, and so remembering Jesus resurrected serves as the foundation of the Christian faith because it is by the work on the cross and then through the resurrection that we have deliverance. It's through his death and resurrection that, that we have salvation. And so Jesus' work here on earth was accomplished. He came here and he completely fulfilled the law living as man was not able to do. He died in our place for sins, right? The punishment for sin was death. Jesus goes to the cross and takes that for us. He rose triumphantly from the grave. I can't wait to celebrate that in about a month as Easter comes. What a great time of the year. But in rising from the dead, He defeats our enemies. He defeated sin. He provides reconciliation to God, and now He reigns victoriously. Listen to how Paul talked about this rising from the dead in Romans 6. This is Romans 6, verse 4. He says, We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We are buried with him in death, that in his death we also live with him. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's going to argue that if Christ is not risen from the dead, our faith is in vain. It's futile. What's the point if there's no resurrection from the dead? But the work of Jesus was completed as Jesus rose from the dead. He's, he's provided victory over sin that secures for us our salvation. So he's, Paul is first reminding us, remember Jesus Christ who's risen from the dead. This is the work of Christ, what he has accomplished but he goes on and he talks about the person of Christ. Looking here, it says, Remember Jesus Christ, the offspring of David. The offspring of David. That's an interesting phrase, uh, given God's full divinity and who he was. But recall that the word Christ here is, is used in place of the Hebrew word Messiah. This is the, the translation that they've done between languages. And if we go back in Israel's history, we go back and we can look in 2 Samuel and, and the prophet Nathan is talking to David for, for God, and in 2 Samuel 7, he says that one day that he would establish one of David's descendants to be on the throne of, e, of an eternal kingdom. Someday, one of David's is going to be on the throne of an eternal kingdom. So from that time, the people of Israel were awaiting their Messiah. They're waiting for this one that was to come. John records rightly the, uh, the people's reactions as they're looking at Jesus. They're looking at Jesus and going, wait, he grew up in Galilee. But here he is in, in John 7, he says, Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, he seems to fit the Messiah, but if I remember the scriptures, said the Messiah wasn't from Galilee, he was from Bethlehem. 
Right? Of course, they're forgetting even some of the birth story of, of Jesus' origins, that he fulfilled that part of the, of the prophecy as well. So what's this importance of the person of Jesus? What? I want to think it's twofold. First, we're seeing an emphasis on the humanity of Jesus. Right? It, by, by saying Jesus was risen from the dead, we're seeing this, this, uh, the divine part, the fully divine part of, of Christ, this, this person who could lay down his life and then take it up again. This is Jesus as fully God. But as we're seeing the descendant of David, we're seeing that this is pointing to his full humanity. This is the, the, the beautiful part of Christ, that he's fully God, yet fully man. And that's important because he's, he's one of us. He's taking our punishment because he was one of us. And so this importance is also that thinking of Jesus as the Messiah helps us to recall God's faithfulness. Helps us to recall God's faithfulness. So he promised to David back in 2 Samuel, one day one will come on your throne. And we look forward and here he is. God has kept his word. It's interesting, in our text today, we, we have remembered Jesus Christ. Every other time throughout the book of 2 Timothy, Paul refers to Jesus as Christ Jesus. Every other time. He, puts, he, he reverses the order and he seems to do so to fit the matching of his points here. That this Jesus his work is tied to the risen from the dead. And this Christ is talking about the offspring of David, the fulfillment of God's promises. And so, as we live our lives, we must focus on these truths. Paul was writing to Timothy to remind him to endure for the gospel and to suffer for the sake of the gospel. So how was he to do this? He was to do so by remembering the truth of the gospel as found in Jesus Christ. It's Paul's first command. Tony Marita says that a lofty vision of the person and work of Christ will keep us focused on the task of hand. A lofty view of the person of Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David. I loved as we sung that this morning. I hope you heard those in the songs. But here in God's Word, we're seeing this command to remember the truth of Jesus' resurrection and as his position as Messiah. These are standing as representations for the entire gospel. This is, this is not the whole gospel. There are so many other parts to the gospel that make this up. But without these two parts, the gospel falls apart. And so Paul is using these as representations for the whole message. And so Paul has spent his entire life sharing this gospel message because he knew it was truth. And he had received it from God. It was the gospel that was true. The truth of God's word. Let's go on and let's talk about the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Now, as Paul was preaching this message and teaching the truth of God's word, what he experienced, instead of lots of joy, was a lot of suffering. Right here in the text, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Remember Jesus Christ, for whom I'm suffering. And Paul's life and journey had not been easy. I mean, he, he's nearing the end of his life, and, and Nero's about to, to end that and to send him to be with Christ. But as he's reflecting in other places, in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was left drifting at sea. And he, he continues in that passage and just has this laundry list of all the bad things that have happened to him. Yet through all of it, the gospel continued to go forth. Now Paul is sitting in a Roman prison, 
He's in chains because of his work for the gospel. And in Roman jails, you may have heard many times it was common, especially for certain high-priority uh, people, people they wanted to make sure they didn't get away. They would take Roman soldiers and they would chain them to the prisoners as a way to keep them from fleeing. I imagine that's probably pretty good. It's probably hard to carry a couple of Roman guards with you as you try to escape. But even in this situation, it seems so dire. Here he is chained to these. I, I will guarantee you Paul is sharing his faith and sharing the gospel with these guys. Talk about a captive audience. You, you talk about, you know, sometimes there's captive audiences. Maybe you're in an Uber or something, and they can't get away, or you're getting your hair cut or something, right? Someone, you gotta, they got to talk to you. Think about being chained to Paul for a few hours. Like, I mean, they're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. And, and here he is. I guarantee you he's sharing his faith in that. But to the world, this seems like such a hopeless situation. You're, you're locked away. You're not able to go anymore. But look at Paul's surprising response. He says, but the word of God is not bound. Paul's response, he says, you can chain me, you can beat me, you can leave me for dead, but this won't stop the gospel. The gospel is going to continue to go forth. God is powerful enough to keep his word advancing. You know, that we, we, we even sung it today. We said that the powers of darkness have already been defeated at the cross. Victory has been won. Death has been defeated by Christ's resurrection from the dead. What do they have on us? God's word will continue to go forth. Back in uh, chapter 1, and verse 12, Paul wrote uh, to Timothy there, he says, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he, speaking of God, is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He says, God's going to keep this going. I have faith in who God is. Back in, in the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 55, 11, we see, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. As my word goes out, it's going to accomplish what I intend for it to do. God's word is unbound. The messengers might be changed, or might be chained, but the message of God cannot be bound. This is good news, No. All right, thank you. I, it, <laughs> the whole message is built around this point. I hope it's, a, hope it's impactful. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll come along. It's, it's early. We lost an hour of sleep. I'll give you a pass on that one. So, All right, this is great news that the gospel is unbound. And as we look at the world around us today, how do, you, how do you see the value that's placed on God's word? How do you even see the value on the, a concept of there being an absolute truth? In this day and age, we're, we're moving away saying, well, there's no such thing as truth. You, you can't know what truth is. Yet God's word stands in complete opposition to that and says, no, this is truth. You know, moving from Kentucky to Massachusetts, uh, I knew that the prevailing ideology in the area would be a little bit different than what I was used to. The New England's a little different than, you know, areas of the South and, and just thoughts and, um, and views on things, and I understood that. But as we then moved from Lowell and moved to Arlington and spending my days at Cambridge, you know, I wasn't really prepared for the continued shift in thought that would happen. You know, and so as I'm surrounded by this world of academia and, and, and research, I'm seeing firsthand the desire for people to make a difference. I mean, the things that are coming out of MIT in particular are amazing. The things that they're doing is saying, this will better life. And what... what so great that they're wanting to, to impact the world in some way. People are standing up for principles. They're fighting for the things that they believe in. They're passionate about it. 
But underneath it all, there's, there's no sense of a need for a great high God who has created them and wants to have a relationship with them. It's what can I accomplish, but we're, they're missing things. And, and so in the wake of these pursuits, there's still there's hurt, there's pain, there's loneliness, there's fear, just a, a general lack of a sense of hope. You know, I, I, I go on Facebook and I, I follow a, uh, a group on Facebook. It's for uh, anonymous confessions that can be posted. Uh, many schools have them. Um, and so pe- students can go online, they can submit anonymous thing, and then moderators take those and they post them to Facebook anonymous, anonymously. And so I follow it because it gives me a picture of what life is like on my campus. And so as we're, you know, I, I'm looking at these hurt and it's, it's loneliness, it's, it's feeling like a failure, pursuing worldly desires and, and seeing that they're not coming to anything. And you can hear the hurt in people's words as they're, as they're submitting them. So every time I'm reminded of these people's need for the gospel, to have a, a hope in a creator that, that loves them, desires to be in this personal relationship with each of them. He wants to take their burdens away, their fear and anguish, and in return give them life. So I desire to see the word of God unbound on our campus. I want to see it free to, to change lives. To, to, to see it heal brokenness, to provide hope again, to provide life. I, I hope that's what you want to see in your community, in this town, in your workplace as well, to see the Word of God unbound. You know, as, at times I'm feeling uh, inept to uh, enact any change. Maybe I, I'm feeling constrained by either uh, administrative uh, policies that are in place or, or maybe even limited by my own time, my own energy to be able to invest. I feel like I can't. I can't handle it on my own. Similar, it's similar to what Paul is saying. He says, we may feel tied, we may feel chained up, but the word of God is unbound and it's going to go forth and to trust him in that promise. So God promises us that the truth of the gospel has power. God's word is not bound, it will accomplish its purpose, but then what role do we then have to play in God's plan? So I want to look at the need for the gospel the need for the gospel. The next word in our text here was therefore. Now, therefore is always should be this really great clue that what we're about to see is supported by something that we just saw. Whatever's coming after the therefore is supported by whatever's come before it. That's what the therefore is there for, if you will. Um, So picking back up in verse 10, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they, may, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So it says, the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the gospel. The word is not bound. Therefore, I do everything so that more may, ta- may obtain this salvation that comes in Christ. That's Paul's message. And so note the two parts that are played. God's word will accomplish its purpose. God will bring salvation to those that he has elected, but God is choosing to use you to see that accomplished. And so it's necessary for followers of Christ to endure this this suffering and hardship because there's still others that need to hear the truth of the gospel. They need to turn from their lives. They need to, through faith, obtain the salvation that is in Christ. I love Paul's words to the Romans. Uh, I come back to these all the time. This is Romans 10. Uh, beginning in verse 14. 
Listen to how he describes it here. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed? What has he heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. You hear these themes coming out of Romans as well? These same things we're hearing in, in Timothy, right? So faith is going to come from hearing the word of God, but they must first hear this truth. But to hear the truth, they have to have someone who has shared it with them. And those that have shared, that, first, that person first has to be sent and must go and take it to them. And so this is the heart of it. He's choosing to use us to see his gospel continue to go forth unbound. And Paul in 2 Timothy has been using a, a, common, let, a common word throughout this letter. It's been, it's been the word entrust. Entrust. Uh, we, we already saw it back in chapter 1, verse 12. I read that earlier, that God would entrust the deposit that has been given to Paul until the end. He would continue to guard that which he's given Paul. And then a couple of verses later in verse 14, he tells Timothy, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He's, he's urging him to, to guard what he has received, to, to not let that be changed, to be tarnished through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then just earlier in chapter 2 and verse 2, he, he's telling Timothy to entrust what he has learned to others who would also teach. And so stepping back from these verses a little bit, we can see that Paul and Timothy, uh, that for Paul and Timothy, and true for all of us believers, that what he's entrusted us with the truth of the gospel has led to salvation. What we have received for, for those in Christ has been salvation through his word. But we must actively guard this deposit but then the challenge to each of us is then to go. And that there are still others who are waiting to, see, to receive the same truth. And so the process of how this has happened was made clear in 2 Timothy 2.2. So just a few verses before where we started today, he says, In what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So the pattern here is really simple to see, No. Paul has received the word of Christ. He's received the word from God, both through encountering the risen Lord himself by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He has received it. He has taken what he's given. He has given this over to Timothy. He's entrusted all that to Timothy. He says, Timothy, take what you have heard and pass this on to others. But make sure that it doesn't stay there. It has to continue to go on. See the pattern? Have you ever thought about how the Gospels made it from the Middle East 2,000 years ago to this room today? I dare say it's through people following this model of taking what they've heard, passing it on to others, and ensuring that they have continued to taught it as well. So what does it mean for us? Remember that God is desiring to use you to complete His work. God's wanting to use each of us. You know, if you are here today, you have received at least a small bit of this truth. And you're going, some may be going, I don't know that I believe you. But I do. Because today you have heard the truth of God's word sung in this place. And if you have made it this far in this message, I hope you have heard at least a little bit of God's word and truth today. So you have received, even if nothing else, a very small amount. 
And so maybe you are new to the Christian faith, or maybe you're not even a believer at all, but you still have something to teach. You still have something that has been received. D.T. Niles has a a famous quote. Um, it, It seems to have a few variances when you look it up, but it's along the lines of, Christianity is basically one beggar telling another beggar where he received bread. It's not Christianity is, is telling one person that's pulled themselves out of poverty and has got their life turned around and has everything figured out is going back and helping someone else to do the same. It was they've, they learned one piece of information. They're giving bread out around the corner. And he tells them that. And he goes on and he tells someone else that same message. And hopefully they, they learn more and to do, do, do more beyond that. But they take the little bit of information they have and they move on. And so maybe you're feeling you're not qualified to be able to pass on things to others. Um, MIT has this thing that they often call it the like, MIT imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. And so it goes something like this, and it hits most students at some point. So they come in, they've been top of their class uh, all through high school. They've studied well, they're probably straight A's all the way through across the board, great test scores. And then they come in and they start struggling with a couple of courses. And they're not quite getting it, and, uh, and the pressure is mounting, and they look at all their, their classmates, and they go, these people still have it. They've got it figured out. I think they made a mistake. Admissions wasn't supposed to let me in here. I'm not the right person for this. I can't do it. I'm not capable. These people, they have it figured out. They know what they're doing, but they, they can handle it. I, I'm, I'm not able to. But I would say that these are still some of the brightest people I've ever known. Um, and that they have a lot more to pass on than they're giving themselves credit for. And I think we can do the same in the faith as well. We go, but, but I, look at my, I look at my community group leader, or I look at my pastors or my elders, like, oh, they have got it. They know how to teach. They know what they're... Yeah, but you have a lot too. And so don't get caught up in this imposter syndrome of saying, I'm not good enough for this. Whatever he is giving you, he, is, he's, he then gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us ways of enacting those to serve the body, to serve the church. You have ways of passing this on as well. And so there's this great need for the gospel in the world and in the lives of people around you. The task that God is giving us is to share this truth with others. And it's very important. Lives, souls are at stake here. So I would ask you to consider two things on this point. First, how faithful are you in receiving and learning God's word? How faithful are you in learning and receiving God's word? Now, this may come from Bible reading, uh, meditating on the scriptures. I think, oh, there, never mind. <laughs> this is going to come from Bible reading. It's going to come from large, from small group settings. Um, so things like this from your community group, any place that the Bible is being taught. This is hopefully coming as you're living life one-on-one with others. You're, you're, you're learning what the gospel means in life. You're seeing it applied. So how faithful are you in receiving and learning God's word? But then secondly, are you being faithful to intentionally impart these truths onto others? As you're learning, as you're receiving, are you being faithful to then take that and pass it on? Our gospel witness is going to require sacrifice. It's going to require varying degrees of suffering, but we do so in order that others would experience this eternal glory, as Paul stated. So how do we endure through these moments of suffering? It would be finally through live remembering the gospel. Live remembering the gospel. Now, this entire section of Scripture that we've been looking at is hinging on the very first words there in verse 8, right? To remember Jesus Christ. This remembering is this continuous command. It means you do it, 
and then you continue to do it the next time. It's, it's not this one time. You have to continue to remember Christ, remembering Him always. I like Eugene Peterson, how he says it in the message. He says, fix this image firmly in your mind. Fix this image firmly in your mind. Have it centered there. So as you're going throughout your day, you're remembering Christ. And so the truth of the gospel is serving as a foundation for all that we do. This power of the gospel reminds us that God's word is going to continue to go out unbound. The need for the gospel reminds us of this great importance in others hearing God's word as their salvation is depending on it. So this should cause us to move. It should cause us to spring into action. Yet so often we're having to be reminded to to do the very things God has called us to do. That brings us to, to, to the end part of the verses. Paul's starting again in verse 11. He says, the saying is trustworthy. And, you know, we, we have to remember, as Paul's writing, the Bible as we have it was not compiled. It was not uh, canonized. It wasn't in the form that we have. Um, I mean, Paul's writing this letter right now. Um, so it can't be in there. But as it's going on, certain truths, certain doctrinal past, uh passages, truths of those things are being passed amongst the different churches. And so what we see here might have very well been an early part of a Christian hymn where they're taking truths from God's Word, from what they have known, and they're passing it. And Paul is saying, hey, you've heard this song. You've heard this. This is trustworthy. Listen to this. And so what follows follows are four groups of saying. They're, they're, They're broken into two groups. We're going to see a picture of those who endure faithfully, followed by a description of those who are unfaithful. So let's first look at the faithful. Beginning then in verse 11, he says, If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And so in verse 11, we see this picture of the union with Christ in his death and resurrection. We, we, we hinted at it a little bit. I read a little bit from Romans 6 earlier. We see the truth really explained over multiple verses that our old selves are crucified with Christ. And we're crucified with Him on the cross, but in the same way Christ has defeated death in the resurrection, we are raised to new life as well. And so daily then we're to be taking up our cross, following God. It's only through dying to ourselves that we can truly live. So we lay down our own comforts, our own desires for the sake of the gospel and for the salvation of others. But then in verse 12, we're reminded to endure all things. It's the same thing he said in verse 10. It's because of the gospel, gospel, therefore, I'm going to endure all things. In Revelation 5, we're going to see that that those in the faith are promised to be made a kingdom. They're going to be made a priest to God and that they will one day reign on the earth. So he says, if we endure, we will reign with him. Anything that is going on in this earth is is momentary. It's, It's fleeting. One day we will reign with Christ. But now we have to look at the unfaithful. The unfaithful in the last part of 12 and 13 says, If we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. Now, uh, the the first part in in verse 12 should be pretty clear. Uh, We see in Matthew 10, uh, verse 33 says, Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So if we're denying Christ, He's going to deny us. But what about 13? 13 seems a little little bit difficult here. He says, but if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. And so maybe a couple different ways we could look at this. 
First, maybe there's a connection between the last verse and this one. So if we deny him is, is tied to us being faithless, and so he will deny us is, is him being faithful, God being faithful to his promises that if we deny him, he's going to deny us. So if we're faithless, he's going to continue to hold up his word. He's not going to go, yeah, they denied me. Go ahead and just let him in. It'll be all right. No. (laughs) He says he's going to be faithful to his word. But maybe another way that it could be understood is that even though as as Christians, as as we turn to Christ, we don't reach this level of sanctification immediately. All right, I've died to my sin. We're good. Life, I mean, it's what, 11.30 in the morning? I mean, I've probably sinned today, right? And so um, we, we had to get two kids here. It's likely I've sinned today at some point, right? And so um, as we're, we're, we don't reach this level, it's going, well, he's wiped away sin. I'm, I'm perfect. We're continuing to be progressively sanctified to becoming more like Christ. And so perhaps it's saying that, hey, even though we're not immediately living these perfect lives, that as we regularly turn from sin, God is faithful to not hold that against us. It, it's saying that our salvation is not depending on our own faithfulness. It's depending on the faithfulness of God. And so I don't think these two are mutually exclusive with our application here today. I don't think we have to pick one interpretation or the other. Um, we should endure all suffering for the sake of Christ, refusing to deny Christ, as He is sure to deny us if we do so. Remember, severe persecution for, for Timothy, for those Christians under Nero, saying, don't deny Christ. Stand firm to the end. But when we're unfaithful in our lives, when we're, if we turn back to God, He's still willing to forgive and He doesn't forsake us. That should be comforting. That when we, we slip up as we're turning back to Him, He is faithful to us and is not going to deny us as we're turning back to Him. And so, as trouble hits, as suffering takes place, you are persecuted for your faith. What are you going to do? How will you respond? Paul's encouragement? Live remembering the gospel. Live remembering the gospel. And so, the gospel is first the truth that is worth us enduring all things, for others to come to salvation. God's word is unbound. It's going to continue, regardless of how bad the the current situation looks. God's word is going unbound. And we suffer and we endure because there is a great need for the gospel in the lives of those around us. And so live remembering the gospel, enduring to the end. So I want to ask, do you, do you believe that the gospel is unbound? That's the question I think you have to ask. Do you believe God's word is unbound and will continue to go forth? Do we trust God at His Word? Do we trust God that He is faithful? If you're here and you don't know Christ, God's wanting to impact your life. I hope you can see that today. He wants others to endure and suffer and to give up things to help bring you salvation. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on your behalf and rose again from the dead to defeat sin, to restore us to God. And faith comes from hearing and through faith in Christ and His work on the cross. He's offering eternal life. So I I hope you see that today. God's Word is going unbound and He wants to change lives. I was so glad to sing that. We were singing about the, the changed lives this morning.
For those that are maybe young in their faith or you're unsure of your mastery of things, you're like, I don't know that I have much I can share. Do you believe that God's word will go forth in power? Recognize that, that part of the work of God is going to be affecting your own life. So as you're feeling unsure, God is promising that he's going to continue to teach and to grow you, that his word will impact and continue to change you. So as you're faithful with a little, then God is then able to provide you with an opportunity to be faithful with a lot. And so I encourage you, sacrifice yourself to knowing the truth of God's word. Take, take time out of the day to do this. I'm just as guilty. I'm busy as well. And, and, and I admittedly don't get into my word as much as I should. I need to be in God's word more than I am. I need to sacrifice to myself. So find someone, find a group that is willing to help take you deeper into God's Word, in, deeper into understanding God's Word. That, that may be an individual, a close friend that you know. I know that the community groups here will do so because I saw it in my own life. As we're sitting in community and opening God's Word together, we're, we're growing deeper into God's Word. So I'd encourage you with that. As you learn, continue to share this truth with others. God has chosen you to complete His mission and through your faithfulness, take it to others that they may go from death to life. So grow deeper and continue to share. And for, for maybe those that are struggling in sharing with others, or, or maybe you're feeling like those around you are just impenetrable to the gospel. No matter what you do, nothing is changing. You're trying to be faithful to God's word. You're, you're, you're actively trying to, to do all these things, and you don't seem to be making any progress. Paul's encouragement, endure all things. Because one day we will reign with Christ. Remember that sacrifice and suffering for the sake of the gospel is worth it. It's what he's called us to. And even in the times where it feels like we have failed, God is faithful and his word will continue to go forth unbound. God desires to do this great work through you. And that your work will also continue beyond you. It doesn't stop with the next person. God's word is going to continue to go forth in power. And he wants you to be involved in that work today. So where do you need to be faithful to God's word in your life so that through your faithfulness he can, he can use you to bring more to salvation? Where do you need to be faithful to God's word? That's where I want to challenge you today because God's word is unbound. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that you have inspired this, that this is words from you, this is truth, that in the face of what others say, that this is, this is your word to us, God. And thank you for the promise that you are taking your word and it is unbound. No matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what is going on around us, God, that your word promises that, that it's going to continue to go forth in power. God, I pray that for the, the campus of MIT. God, I pray that you're doing that around our home in Arlington. God, I pray that for this church, as this church and others are trying to impact the campus of UMass Lowell for your word. God, continue to, to be unbound in this city, in this place, on this campus. God, in our workplaces, in our homes. God, your word is powerful. And it's through it that, that we see the salvation that you've provided through the cross and through Jesus. God, may... may 
Imprint on us a desire to be more in your word, to, to know you through your word, to, to be ready to share, to, uh, to be ready in season, out of season, to always be having a word from you on our mind. Uh, cause us to, to, to meditate on your word through the day, to memorize it so we always have it with us. God, I thank you for your gospel, the gospel that we see through your word and what you've done through Christ. God, it's through the work on the cross that you have brought us back into relationship with you. And God, we, we don't deserve it. We're unworthy of it all. And yet you loved us. God, it's through Christ rising from the dead, Lord, that you've defeated death and that you have given us life. What great promise and hope. God, that's what we want in our lives. We want life. We, we like life abundantly. So God, all the cares, all the concerns in our lives, God, allow us to turn them over to you, realizing that, that you want to work and that you will work through your word. Your word will come through community. God, bless us in this place. Challenge us with your word. We just pray all of these things. In your son Jesus' name, amen.